Snap Studios. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Growing up, I never understood why, why once a year we'd have to go there to visit my grandmother. I didn't want to go there. And I told them, my mother, my father, I told them I don't want to go there. But there we go. And it's like they don't know. Like they can't see that Granny's right here. She's in the smell of the morning biscuits. I hear her over the chatter of the ebony ladies in the church hats. Why climb this hill and kneel in front of this marker with her name etched onto it? Why go there to recall someone who in so many ways is still right in front of us? Can't you hear her? Well, I'm older now. And even I, her second favorite grandbaby, even I hear her less and less. For the first time, I understand. I have the need to go to this place that I so long ago rejected to make sure that the etching with her name is clean, to put flowers down in the same spot that I hated to visit, to close my eyes. Take a deep breath to ask Granny. 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 Where did you go? Stand snap judgment. We pierce the veil. You've waited long enough, tis the season, we proudly present Campfire Tales. My name is Glenn Washington. Just because you can't see doesn't mean she's not there. And you're listening to Snap Judgment. Everyone knows at least one person who's kind of out there, right? Kind of on the edge. But when you live on the edge, sometimes you might have to ask yourself some very interesting questions. Sensitive listeners are advised.
My name is Martin Mosley. I'm a paramedic and I'm an ER nurse for uh, coming on 20 years now. In 99, I was doing my EMT clinical in a hospital in San Jose. 21, so I was just a kid. And a lady, had, a, a wife and mom, had dropped her daughter off at a friend's house and on her way home was just so drunk that she she veered off and hit a tree and she wasn't buckled in and her the top of her head went through the windshield but nothing else so almost like a crown the very top of her cranium was through the windshield and the paramedics brought him in and i remember standing at the foot of her bed i was just a baby emt I, i wasn't allowed to really do anything there if you can imagine standing inside of a trauma room they're usually like a squat rectangle so there may be 10 feet wide by 12 feet long. Um, the gurney's in the middle, and there's crash carts on sides, there's oxygen behind, and there's, you know, maybe a sink or a countertop on the other side. I was standing at the foot of her bed, and there was nurses and firefighters on one side, and there was a doctor and some other nurses and maybe some techs on the other. And I remember standing there and just feeling this super immense sadness. Like if you... If you stand in a cold pool, you can feel the weight of the water, the cold water on you, but it's not covering your entire body. That's kind of how it felt. I turned, um, and the woman from the car crash was standing just right behind me. Um, And I just looked right at her, and she wasn't looking at me. She was looking at herself on the table. She was wearing a white colored shirt. She had long hair and it was her her brown hair was tucked behind her ears. And it was a lot for me to take in in the moment. This was all really heavy information. This lady's dying. They're talking about her being a wife and a mom. And people are yelling, starting IVs and hooking her up to leads and um, intubating her, trying to keep this lady alive. And there just there wasn't a lot they could do. And then to turn around and see her there, I was questioning my my sanity. Like, am I going nuts? But she was there. There was, an, there was no doubt in my mind. I, I, so anyway, I screamed. And one of the nurses helped me leave. And I went and sat down outside. I didn't want to be around that. So I, I left. Went to another patient. Went to another room. Went somewhere else. When the nurse escorted me out, it felt like everybody in the room was like, oh, the new guy, you know, his first dead body. This is, you know, let's get him out of here and get him to a safe place where he can put his head between his knees and breathe into a paper bag. <laughs> I felt like the, the rookie. You know, am I, am I even cut out for this job? Like, do I, am I tough enough for this? Am I emotionally strong enough to handle this job? So I was in an EMS course, so I I had to find a job while I was in school, and the school happened during the day. I took a job at Great America. Two people in the course of a year died at the amusement park. One guy jumped a fence to get a hat and literally got his jaw kicked off by a person riding the ride. I mean, he jumped 
two fences, all of it said, do not cross. So I was in the security booth at the end of the day, watching the video of this. We were watching the actual video of this guy's death, the moment of this guy's death over and over. And he was watching his own death with us. The, the man who had been recently killed um, was standing behind me, um, but between myself and another officer. He wasn't looking at any of us, and I don't even really feel like he was looking at the screen. He was just faced forward. You know, he could have been anywhere, but I think that he was drawn to the fact that I... I knew he was there. It felt like he was trying to express something. Like he was trying to he was trying to get a, a point across. This can't be real. I was just trying to get my hat. Like this wasn't supposed to happen. I I was just getting my hat. And I could see what he was wearing out of the corner of my eye. I just I, I honestly I didn't want to turn. I was so afraid that I was going to see this guy without a jaw. But I knew he was there, and I knew he he was feeling this anxiety, and I couldn't leave because I was surrounded by dudes, and these are great America security, so it, they weren't they weren't picking like hardened soldiers or anything like that. It was just a bunch of dudes who wanted a summer job. Um, but I, I wanted to impress him. I didn't want to look like a coward, so I didn't say anything, and I was just I was terrified. And I didn't want to turn around. And we were all just kind of like taking in this moment because we hadn't, you know, some of these guys have been working at the park for 15 years and never seen that. I just turned my body just enough to, to be able to see that someone was there. And then I turned back and I remember doing it maybe twice. And the third time turning, he wasn't there and the feeling stopped. And it didn't ebb, it just, you know, it was gone. Every time I saw a presence, every time I was around one, I still wanted to create distance. I think that I was, I was still, you know, on one hand, I was still learning how to be an EMT and how to take this job seriously. Every, the whole world is like Disneyland. Like everything, your eyes are huge. You want to be a part of every trauma. You want to be a part of, you know, the multiple car wrecks. You want to pull people out of burning buildings. You know, you want to do the stuff from the movies. And were you more interested in, like, the heroic aspect of the work than maybe, like... Um, the human suffering element of it? Really? Absolutely. Nobody enters the EMS field because they want to spend hours upon hours with a patient nurturing them back to health. And for people who work in EMS, it's not that they're not compassionate, but they're drawn to the heroic fix the immediate problem and get the patient to a place where the people with the abundance of compassion can kind of take over and do that caring. 
this is now 17, 18 years later. I'm 40 years old. Uh, I'm married. I've got two kids and a dog. This is probably, this is around September. So I went to the grocery store and it was night. Um, so it had to be after like 930. And on my way back towards my house, God, uh, so this lady is just standing in front of her house. Um, the lady is standing in her driveway, which isn't, which probably isn't even a half a mile from my house. So I've made it almost all the way home. And so it's September, it's hot, um, but she's in a night slip. The nightgown was, was shiny and, and real thin. Um, it had like little thin straps over her shoulders. Um, she was pale, um, silver hair, a little bit past her shoulders, but she's standing right in front of her house. And so I was just kind of watching her, like being like really confused. Like, she, what is she doing? Like I knew, I knew inside that she wasn't alive. I just, I just knew. And she stared right at me. Um, and, and honestly, and I can't tell you why, and I feel like an idiot for even saying it, I pulled over. She was standing in the driveway and I, she watched me as I pulled past. Um, and I, I pulled in front of her house and she was looking my direction and I got out and she was just staring at me. Like, this is really weird because they don't stare at me. Like, they're not looking f for me. She was, she was making eye contact. She was looking right at me. And so I didn't approach her. I didn't even close my door. Like, I got out and she took a step forward, which was super weird. And I was like, it made me kind of wonder, like, maybe I, maybe she's not. Maybe she's just like a crazy lady standing out, you know, late at night. She was probably 30 feet away and she took another step and I said hello and it seemed to just piss her off. She took another step and then took another step and then took another step and stopped. This is, this had never occurred. They've always just kind of like accepted that I was kind of around. And so she just started walking like really quickly. She took probably 14 really quick steps around the back of my car. I was fucking scared and like she mouthed something and then took a couple more steps. I, I got my car and shut the door as she walked up and stood, but she didn't look inside my car. She walked up and just stood there. What the fuck? Like, can they reach in? Like, can they reach through shit? And she just stood there. She didn't look at me. She just stood there and I sat there and she stood there and we just, for a couple of minutes, just kind of sat that way. So I turned my engine over and then she just put her hand on my, on the door of the car. And I was like, fuck it. And I flew home, pulled in the garage, shut the garage door, didn't get out of my car. Like, do I get out of my car in this dark garage? Is she going to be standing there when I get out of my car? When I turn to go up the stairs, is she going to be standing at the top of the stairs? If I wake up, is she going to be looking at me, you know? 
when I open the door to leave, is she going to be standing out there? Like, just the, the terrifying, like, thoughts that you have when you're, when you're watching a scary movie and you know it's not real. You know this is, like, you know it's not real, but this, like, this happened. This, like, happened to me. I let fear just have its way with me that night. Like, I was terrified. I just let myself slip into it. And since then, I've kind of come to a mental agreement with myself that they can't do anything to me that I don't let them do. If I give them access to my fears, and if I give them access to my heart and my mind like that, it's going to control me and fear is going to be kind of the guiding factor in my life. After seeing the lady, ugh, I remember sitting down days later because that whole weekend I just had to just relax and try and not to freak out. But I, rem- I sat down at my laptop um, and was just researching it. Like, why does this happen? I, I just Google, you know, visiting spirits or presences. So the Irish believe in this thing called thin places. And what they believe is that the supernatural world and the natural world, what we call the natural world, coexist. And there are thin places where that existence is, is easily transgressed. A lot of people, especially the Celts, believe that people can be thin places and can kind of carry a mantle of thinness. Before meeting meeting her, I never really thought about being like an active thin place. But when I realized that these people, these presences are there, you know, I, I have the desire to be compassionate. But I, I also, my first instinct is to create distance. It's not over, Snappers. It's not even close to over. When Snap Judgment, the Campfire Tales episode continues, Martin Mosley, he's going to take us way beyond the veil. Stay tuned. Support for Snap Judgment comes from Odoo. What is Odoo? Well, Odoo is an all-in-one management software with apps for every business need. Odoo has apps for CRM, accounting, sales, HR, inventory, manufacturing, and everything in between. And they're all in one easy-to-use software. And the best part about Odoo? All Odoo apps are integrated, helping you get things done faster and more efficiently. So when you think about business, think Odoo. To learn more, visit odoo.com slash snap that's o-d-o-o dot com slash snap welcome back to snap judgment campfire tales now martin mosley he just discovered that he is a thin place a magnet for those beyond the veil. And the worst part? Martin's surrounded 
by the dead and dying. Sensitive listeners are advised. Um, Cowboy was the most recent. I was there the night he came in, and he came in um, with a GI bleed, um, gastrointestinal bleed. It, it, uh, if you're not vomiting up the blood that's bleeding in your stomach, then the acids are already processing the blood, and it coagulates, and it looks like it looks like coffee grounds, like wet coffee grounds. What makes what would cause a GI bleed? Alcoholism. And he had, he had been struggling with health, health issues for years. And how many times had you treated him? This, is, this was the second time I had seen him. He came in for a GI bleed. We were able to treat it. Most of the time you, you can, unless you're far enough along in the disease process when there's, just, there's not a lot you can do. It's just the damage, so much damage usually is done that, I mean... The little band-aids we put over it aren't gonna aren't gonna do the job. And he, and he came in, and he's a funny guy, um, older, um, really clever, like sharp. He told me the story about the first girl he slept with, and I was laughing. And that's you know, he was probably a little more crass, you know, because we had developed some rapport. <laughs> He was pink, warm, and dry the first time he came in and he stayed overnight. This time he was pale and he was kind of gaunt and he had lost his, like, shine. He was clearly scared and he had been throwing up just these coffee grounds. So we, we brought him in and, and he was just kind of sad. Um, the floor nurses were having a little bit of trouble getting another IV on him. So I went down and I sat with him. So I was able to get his IV started. I got the fluids running so I was trying to joke with him and I asked him to tell me some stories from, from his life and he did and we laughed. And, um, and so I got up and I was like, hey, you need anything else? I, I, asked, I asked if he wanted any coffee. It was kind of like this joke we had developed because of the coffee grounds. And so I'd ask him if he wanted a cup of coffee and it was always no because like, I think that after seeing that, like the last thing you'll ever want again is coffee. Um, and so we laughed and then I left. And uh, later that night, I walked down to the floor and the nurse that was there came out of his room just running down the hall and she said, something's happening. He's not okay. And so I ran around the hallway and he was laying not, you know, not vertically in bed anymore like you're supposed to. He was laying with his feet off the side and he was laid, splayed back. So we went in and we started doing compressions. We got checked his pulse and, and he didn't make it. Um, so we put him back in bed and we spent some time cleaning him up and getting him on some clean sheets. And uh, one of the nurses was already trying to get a hold of family to let them know. We we're trying to get a hold of a mortuary to come pick up the body. And it was it was a bummer. It's 50 yards from where from the nurse's desk to this guy's room, but it's probably another hundred down the end of this hallway. And then you hang a right down to the ER, and that's where I spend most of my time. So I went back that way because um, I was going to type up, you know, my charting notes about what happened. Finished that up, did some filing, put some stuff away, texted my wife. Um, I was like, 
I'm going to head back down and see if they need any help with anything. Because he's not a, you know, a dead body is heavy. Or if you're moving a body that isn't cooperating, it's really hard to get them. So I didn't know if the, if the mortuary was there yet. If they got a hold of them, they might be there by then and I could go help them out. So I walked back down and I got to the room and a guy in a, in a cowboy hat and like a plaid, blue plaid, like shirt with the cowboy Wrangler jeans and boots was standing ne- next to the body. Um, and I stopped, I didn't even enter, I just stopped and I was like, okay, family's here. And I backed away and I went down and I didn't bring it up. I just went, went down and hung out kind of at the nurse's station. I got myself a cup of coffee. Probably 25 minutes went by while I was down there. I was like, I should go check on them. And I went back and there wasn't anybody there. I thought it was weird because typically in those situations, if somebody's going to get up at three in the morning to come by, they want to talk um, or they just want somebody around. So I, I thought, well, I'm here. I'm going to grab this guy's stuff. Um, and the top drawer had his phone and a notepad with some writing on it. And I opened the bottom drawer. And as soon as I pulled it out, there was a cowboy hat underneath it. And I looked inside and the shirt was there and the top of the boots. And I, it was super, it was a really strange, like, realization that he was there. Like, that was, that was him looking down at his own body. I regret that I hadn't known at the time. If I had known, I would have stayed. Like, if I had, if I had had a clue that it was him, I probably would have stayed and hung out. You know, I made a little bit of an emotional connection. You share a laugh with somebody and you have a moment with somebody and he, we remembered each other and we, you know, it was a like, like a happy, like recognition when I saw him in the ER before and knocking on his door and giving a little two finger wave or whatever. Like it felt like we were more than just strangers, you know, on a train. We, it felt like we were at least friendly acquaintances. So I think that really for the first time in any of, in any time I've ever felt a presence or seen a presence, the first time I've ever really regretted not saying something is the rest of the time. What do I say to this person? I don't know them. I don't, I really honestly didn't know or didn't have any connection with any of them. But for the first time, it really felt like, like I kind of wish I had, I just reached out, you know, maybe not physically, but just to express some sort of like genuine condolence. Um, I would, I would love to, to say that going forward, I'm going to offer that compassion that I wanted to give the cowboy to everybody. And I think that over the years, my heart has gone from, soft and rookie vomiting in the street and screaming when he sees someone and now maybe I'm more grizzled but maybe I'm just tired too you know of of the show
about being a thin place now? If I'm being honest, I, I could, I could leave it. I'd, I'd rather not have that responsibility. Um, I mean, I'm, when I think about the light of someone's life going out and then seeing them after that, before they go on to whatever happens after they die, it feels like a really heavy responsibility. And I, I honestly, I would just as soon not have it. Um, you know, it's not like the sixth sense where you're seeing these like things just anywhere. It's not, it's not like a party trick. It's not fun. And honestly, since the lady on the street in the back of my mind somewhere is this, this new little flicker and flame of fear that I'm something like that's going to happen again. If they were all like the cowboy and I could, I could live with, you know, this gift of compassion and feel like I was doing something positive and something positive was coming from it, then I think I'd feel better about it. But, but since the, that lady, I, that flicker of fear is always there. Every time I walk through my house with the lights off, you know, every time I walk from my car to my house or I'm driving every time, every time I drive home from the grocery store, you know, that little flicker of flame can, can burn really hot sometimes and cause a, you know, a wave of fear that I just, I honestly would just rather not have if it's all the same. Thank you, Martin Mosley, for sharing your story with us. Martin's a long-time listener, and he reached out. We love it when listeners scare us. If you've got a story you want to tell us, send it our way, spooked at stampjudgment.org. The original score for that story was by Renzo Goria. was produced by Eliza Smith. And if you can't get enough of this type of storytelling, we've got big news. The all-new third season of Snap Judgment Presents Spook returns the number one supernatural podcast in the world. I'm going to do something we've never done before. Not five episodes, not 10, not 20. Hear me. 26 new episodes of Spook drop this season. You can hear the full season of Spook presented by our partners at Luminary Media on the Luminary app or go to spookpodcast.org spookpodcast.org be afraid take spook with you beginning next week and remember don't turn out the lights campfire tales brought to you by the team that is almost never afraid of the dark give it up for the ghoulish mr mark ristich anna the raven sussman Chief Spookster, Eliza Smith. The terrifying Chris Hambrick. Annie Nguyen sees dead people. Tiffany DeLisa does not. And Crystal Ball Ford. Eric Gagnez smells fear. Lauren Newsom wanders at night. Sana Khan has an evil twin. And even though this is not the news, no way is this the news. In fact, you and your best buddy Jake could go looking for ghosts and just when he's about to show you what he found do you recall that Jake well Jake has been 
gone these past 40 years. And even then, you would still not be as far away from the news as this is. But this is WNY.